I'm here with Miss Jill Tierney, who's a consultant colorectal surgeon, and for the next few minutes we're going to talk about hemorrhoids. So could you tell us a little about what hemorrhoids actually are? Hemorrhoids are really an exaggeration of a normal thing. It's normal to have tissue at the anal margin which is made up of veins and arteries where they meet and there's an amount of muscular and fibrous tissue there. But hemorrhoids are an enlarged, downwardly displaced variant of this which occurs in many people as time goes on with age and often if people have had a pelvic mass most commonly such as a pregnancy. Is there anything else that might cause pulse? Well anything that causes people to strain so classically constipation sometimes a hobby such as weightlifting or a strenuous job involving lots of lifting um, and sometimes a chronic cough any of those things that increase your abdominal pressure can lead to the development of hemorrhoids. Okay, um, so um, they're very common. What symptoms do they cause? Well, the majority of people who have hemorrhoids really are relatively asymptomatic, as piles are very, very common. However, if you do get symptoms from hemorrhoids, they can present in a number of ways. Um, some people most commonly would present with bright red rectal bleeding, and this scares the patients. Lots of patients think they might have bowel cancer when they present with that. Okay, any other symptoms they might cause apart from bleeding? Yeah, the second commonest symptom is probably itching, itching around your bottom, known as pruritus. Um, and this is because the hemorrhoidal tissue causes the normal, perfect sort of sealing mechanism of the anus to be a bit dislodged, and it allows for mucus, which is highly irritant to the skin, to sort of appear on the perianal skin, and that's very irritant, causing yeah. itching. The seal's not quite as good anymore. No. Okay. And uh, anything else? Do they sometimes um, come down or prolapse? Yeah, and then the next common symptom of hemorrhoids is prolapsing. And in fact, that's how we categorise hemorrhoids. So we'd say that grade 1 hemorrhoids don't prolapse at all. Grade 2 hemorrhoids would come down, prolapse, when a person has a bowel action, but would spontaneously reduce. Grade 3 hemorrhoids come down when they have a bowel action, and they can be manually replaced by the patient. And grade 4 hemorrhoids would be those rather large ones, which we occasionally see in clinic, which are out all the time. Okay. Do hemorrhoids often painful? Lots of people think they are. No. No, I would say more commonly if you receive a referral from a GP saying somebody's got bright red rectal bleeding and pain, it's much more likely to be something like an anal fissure. Occasionally hemorrhoids can be painful if they're acutely prolapsed, not reducible and become thrombosed. This is often seen in the postpartum setting and can be very painful indeed. Okay, and we're going to talk about treatment of hemorrhoids in a little bit, but just while we're talking about prolapsed hemorrhoids, what's the best thing to do for those? What, acutely prolapsed hemorrhoids? Yeah. I wouldn't advise an operation. I think probably conservative management with ice, analgesia and bed rest would be the thing to do. Okay, and then the hemorrhoid just shrivels it by itself and sometimes leaves a skin tag after that, is that right? That's true, though occasionally people can need a hemorrhoidectomy once everything's settled down. Uh -huh. Okay, so a patient um, comes to the clinic and the GP letter suggests they've got hemorrhoids. How would, you, um, how would you take the patient from there? How would you manage the patient? Well, as with any medical referral, any condition, you'd want to take a full history and you'd be wanting to assess in your history whether... The symptoms the patient were alluding to were the result of hemorrhoids, were ever anything more sinister was going on. Um, so you'd take a full history with regards to their bowel habit in particular and the nature of any blood that they saw. You'd want this blood to be bright red, just present on the paper, small in amount, not mixed in with the stool. You'd want, as we said, an absence of pain really, as that's not particularly a presenting feature of hemorrhoids. You'd want 
possibly to hear about the sensation of something coming down on defecation and they might have had a, a lifelong history really of being prone to constipation. Mm-hmm. Is there, would you ask about family history? You would always ask somebody about family history and most people would say they had a family history of hemorrhoids but I think that's really a reflection of it being a common condition rather than a genetic tendency. Uh-huh. But family history of um, bowel cancer or other bowel Ob- problems? Obviously you'd ask about a family history of bowel cancer. Yeah, yeah. and weight loss? Just as a general screening question? I think that's a rubbish screening question actually, I think it's quite non-specific. Okay, um, okay. Um, so you, uh, you've taken a history from them and um, what about their age? Is that important what you do next? Well, no, I think you're always going to examine your patient next, aren't you? So you would do a general abdominal examination and then we'd get to the meat of the examination, which in this case would be a rectal examination. You'd want to inspect the outside of the patient's anus and look for skin tags and any other anal abnormality. You'd want to perform a digital rectal examination, clearly to exclude things like a polyp or a rectal tumour. You'd perform a rigid sigmoidoscopy to assess the rectum fully and you'd perform a proctoscopy because piles are much better seen with the proctoscope. They tend to prolapse into the end of the instrument. Okay. Can you feel piles when you uh, examine them digitally? No, not really because as we've said, they're dilated vascular cushions so you should be able to compress them with your finger. Okay, and then you do a, a rigid sigmoidoscopy. What are you looking for there or what are you looking that, to exclude? I've already said we'd do that to exclude a rectal lesion. Right, uh, but about... Proctitis, perhaps, causing rectal bleeding. You could look at the lining of the bowel as well. Yeah. Mm, mm, okay. And um, and so you see some hemorrhoids. What, how are you going to treat them? Well, you don't necessarily have to treat them at all. A lot of patients come to clinic and they just want to hear that they don't have a rectal cancer. But I've got to stop myself here and say you've talked before about does the age of the patient have mm. any relation on what you do further, and it does. I would say in my practice, I'm probably a little overcautious, and I think if somebody's over 45 presenting with rectal bleeding, no matter what I find in the clinic, I would probably like them to have a flexible sigmoidoscopy, that's an endoscopic examination of the left side of the colon, just to exclude a more proximal cause of rectal bleeding, such as a polyp or a cancer. Right, so why flexible sigmoidoscopy, sort of looking at half the colon rather than the colonoscopy? Because there's evidence that the majority of lesions, cancers or polyps, will be within reach of a flexible sigmoidoscope. That's the distal 60 centimetres of the bowel. Yeah, and they're the ones that bleed, aren't they? Rather than... Those were the things that would make you see bright red blood at your bottom. Yeah, there. okay. So what treatment options do you have open to them? Obviously, conservative treatment, doing nothing is, is, is one of the things you can do, but what else? Well, what as are... I said, they're mostly concerned they might have bowel cancers. So you would reassure them that with the tests that you'd done, i.e. those just in the clinic if they're under 45, or those in the clinic plus a flexible sigmoidoscope if they're over 45, if they were all normal, you'd reassure them. And if you had seen piles with your proctoscope that this was simply hemorrhoids to increase their fluid and their fibre, maybe take a bit more exercise and and no further tests or treatments were needed. Mm -hmm. If they're very bothered by their symptoms, if they're soiling their underwear with blood, if they're finding it socially difficult, you could offer them some outpatient-based treatments. And in my practice, and I think the majority of colorectal surgeons, the commonest done thing in the outpatient is to band the hemorrhoids. Right, what's banding then? Banding is literally a sort of a choking process. You put your proctoscope in the patient's bottom and identify an area well above the dentate line, i.e. above where they would be sensate, and draw a small amount of this anal cushion tissue into the end of a suction device and fire a band which literally just chokes off that tissue. 
Right, okay, and it pulls the uh, any prolapse back up a bit as well, doesn't it? Slightly, but not, not to a great yeah. effect. Okay, so um, that's banding. Is there anything else that can be done in the outpatients? You could, pretty much most things have been tried. You could inject sclerosant in a carrier medium, and that used to be very much in vogue a few years ago. Um, you can heat them up, you can cool them down, you can put infrared on them, but generally a lot of studies have shown that the most reproducible and reliable outpatient-based technique is banding. Mm -hmm. what, what kind of success rate could you expect with banding? I think about 70% of symptomatic hemorrhoids will be, will be sorted out by outpatient banding okay. and one or two goes. And which um, which grade of hemorrhoid is uh, suitable for banding or sclerosant? Well, obviously, you'd want to give that to the, the smaller and the less symptomatic piles, such as grade 1, grade 2. You'd probably have a go at grade 3 piles, but just certainly grade 4 wouldn't respond to an outpatient banding. Okay, so let's say that uh, there's grade 3 or grade 4 piles, um, perhaps with the grade 3 you've tried banding them and they're still symptomatic and prolapsing and bleeding. What options do you have now? Well, you're still not forced to do anything else. I'm always very reluctant to offer a formal surgical hemorrhoidectomy to a patient as it's such a painful procedure, and I often use the phrase to them that I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. However, you talk to your patient about a further operative strategy. The traditional surgical hemorrhoidectomy, known as the Milligan-Morgan hemorrhoidectomy, literally cuts out the pedicles of, of hemorrhoidal tissue leaving three open wounds at the anus hence the pain post-operatively. There are however now many more modern techniques available and my preferred one is known as a stapled anopexy where a stapling device is inserted into the patient's bottom and the whole ring of hemorrhoidal tissue is sort of hitched up and disc of tissue excised thereby cutting off its blood supply and the plus of this is it's a relatively pain-free hemorrhoidectomy. Yeah okay and what um, what complications can there be of hemorrhoidectomy? Obviously you mentioned pain which can be especially in the Milligan Morgan go on for about six weeks can't it? It really really does have a big effect on people's lives um, but what uh, about the stable hemorrhoidectomy? What, what might that cause in the way of um, complications? Um, I think the biggest complication of the staple hemorrhoidectomy, again, pain. If you, especially in the male sort of anus, if you don't get your staple line well above the dentate line, and this is done under anaesthetic, you, people still can get pain. Also, bleeding is not uncommon after that procedure, and you have to check that your staple line is absolutely bone dry before waking the patient up. Sepsis, and I think there have been one or two reported cases of death secondary to pelvic sepsis from this procedure, but it's really quite rare. It's by far a less troublesome procedure than a traditional hemorrhoidectomy. Yeah. People come and go on the same day, don't they? Have a day case procedure and um, get back to activities after how long, would you say? It was meant to be the next day, that's how it pays for itself. Right, okay. Um, so you, you treat the hemorrhoids. Uh, what advice do you give people about um, making sure they don't get hemorrhoids again in the future or recurrent symptoms? Well, you want to avoid whatever was your risk factor. So clearly, once patients have had hemorrhoids, and certainly once they've had a hemorrhoidectomy operation, they become a little bit obsessive about their bowel habit, but they mustn't allow themselves to get constipated. Uh -huh. Okay. Well, thank you very much uh, for that. And I think do you want that... me to tell you what the complications of an open hemorrhoidectomy might be? Well, if you like. Okay. So if you have the traditional Milligan-Morgan type surgical hemorrhoidectomy, there's always a danger you could damage the anal sphincter, which is right in the plane where you're operating, and that could lead to incontinence. If you don't leave large enough skin bridges between the pedicles that you take away from the anus, the bottom can heal and result in an anal stenosis. And as with any surgical procedure, bleeding can be a complication. 
but it's particularly common to have what's called a secondary hemorrhage. So you may bleed at the time of the operation and then at an interval of about a week to 10 days, the patient may represent with bleeding. And that's a hemorrhage really secondary to infection, which is not uncommon after an open hemorrhoidectomy. Right. Well, thank you very much. Anything else you'd like to tell us about? No. No. Well, thank you very much. Okay.